You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Have you ever wondered who the Mary was from Bloody Mary? If the Loch Ness Monster was real or if Ouija boards actually worked? On each episode of the family-friendly Unspookable, we look at the histories and mysteries behind your favorite scary stories, myths, and urban legends to get the real stories behind the scares. Want to solve your next mystery? Find and follow Unspookable now, wherever you get your podcasts. I feel like who art Ed? Who art Ed? Mr. Wood art Ed me. Either way, it's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. Welcome to Who Arted Weekly Art History for All Ages. I'm your host, Kyle Wood. Now, today, I'm still struggling with my voice a bit, so I'm going to replay an episode I made last year covering some delightful spirit photography hoaxes for a spooky, fun bit of art history. I'm gearing up to start a new season on October 30th as the show hits the four-year mark. I've been prepping a number of interesting episodes for Season 8, including one I recently recorded with a guest talking about one of the greatest art forgers in history. But I'm really looking forward to the anniversary show, as I'll be trying something a little different, making what I like to call a fun fact extravaganza, with multiple guests contributing a variety of odd and interesting bits of art history. In the meantime, enjoy this episode, which is one of my favorites from last year, partly because I always love a good hoax, and partly because it starts with Mulmer, and I always like to picture Mole Man from The Simpsons as the star of this story. Anyway, I hope you enjoy these historical hoaxes, starting with William Mulmer's ghost photography. William Mulmer was born in 1832. For historical context, the oldest known daguerreotype that was an early form of photography is from 1837, so Mulmer was born right around the same time as photography, and he loved the new medium. He started off as a hobbyist. Mulmer worked as a jewelry engraver, but in his spare time, he liked taking photographs of his family and friends. In 1860, though, he took a selfie that would change the course of his life. In his self-portrait, he noticed something strange. There appeared to be a ghost behind him. It just so happened that his wife was a healing medium who would help people make contact with the spirits of dead loved ones. The spiritualist movement was quite popular in the late 19th century. William Mulmer had found a way to use the latest scientific technology to photograph spirits, providing dramatic and compelling images as evidence to validate the seances. He immediately quit his job as an engraver so that he and his wife could form a business connecting people with their deceased loved ones. Mrs. Mulmer was a medium reaching out to the spirits, and Mr. Mulmer would photograph the person with the ghost of their loved one. It was a very lucrative business, and in the 19th century, as new technology was dramatically changing the world, causing people to rethink what was possible, people of all backgrounds were ready to believe. I mean, it'd be hard not to believe when you see a photograph of Mary Todd Lincoln with the ghost of her late husband, the former president. 
Interestingly, the ghost of Abraham Lincoln seemed to get around and appeared with more than just Mary Todd. The former president was a popular subject for Mr. Mulmer, but the suspicion really started to come when some of the, quote, spirits in Mulmer's photographs were discovered to be people who were still very much alive. I like to imagine someone coming forward to confront Mulmer and pulling the Mark Twain quote saying, rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. P.T. Barnum, yes, that Barnum, was actually crucial to the downfall of William Mulmer. Barnum was a collector of oddities for his traveling shows, but he was also an outspoken critic of Mulmer. Barnum actually had a friend of his produce a spirit photograph, just like Mulmer's, and Mulmer was put on trial for fraud. While he was acquitted, his career was ruined. It kind of reminds me of how Harry Houdini was outspoken in debunking spiritualists and would frequently ruin seances by revealing the tricks. While magicians and other showmen typically would not reveal each other's tricks, Houdini, like Barnum, did not like people using illusions to prey upon vulnerable people's desire to connect with loved ones and exploit those sort of religious beliefs for profit. Houdini actually told his wife a secret code word while he was alive, saying that if anyone tried to claim his spirit visited in a seance, she would know it was fake unless the medium could get the code word from the spirit. While people made claims, none ever got that code word. But back to Mulmer. How did he produce his spirit photographs? It was a simple technique of double exposure. When a photograph is taken, the spots where light hits the film will cause silver compounds to turn dark. The spots where there wasn't light hitting the film will remain light, but that film stays sensitive to light until it's developed. So somebody could take multiple photographs on a single frame of film. By taking another photograph on top of a piece of film that already had a photographic image on it, you can create the appearance of a ghost as these different sorts of things seem cloudy, but the images are superimposed on top of each other. Now, because I love the spooky season and I love a good historical hoax, I'm going to make this mini episode, well, a little less mini. So after the break, I'm going to share a little bit more of the, let's say, questionable history of spirit photography. While Mulmer created his spirit photographs using double exposure, basically he would put a plate of a ghost, using giant air quotes there, in front of the sensitive photographic plate while he took the, quote, spirit photo. The double exposure is not the only trick people can use to capture a ghost or other strange being on film. A famous ghost image was created in 1891 without a double exposure. In that image, we see a seemingly empty room with a faint image of a ghostly man on a chair. We actually barely see the man, as really only his head and arm are visible. He seems to be fading from the image, and just a part of the ghostly body hangs in the air. 
The photo was taken in the library of Cumbermere Abbey shortly after Lord Cumbermere died in a riding accident. He was actually being buried at the time the photo was taken, leading many to the seemingly obvious conclusion that the man in the picture was the ghost of Lord Cumbermere. In reality, it was a quirk of a long exposure photograph. In the early days of photography, the photographic plates were less sensitive, and it would take a long time to get enough light to capture an image. If you want to learn more about that, I'll link my episode on Daguerre and the world's first photobomb in the show notes. Those early photographs with the long exposure tended to focus on objects that could be still for hours because a moving subject would come out blurry. In this case, we see a long exposure and all of the objects in the library sat still for the camera, so they were in focus as expected. There was, however, a person who wandered into the shot, sat down in a chair, and then left. Because that person was not sitting still through the entire exposure time, he was only partially captured. There was a blur of motion in the photograph. The image looks unnatural, and the timing gives us a nice story that ups the intrigue. But unfortunately, that doesn't make it true. The most likely story explaining the image of the man was that one of the staff walked into the library and had a seat for a moment. Later, all the staff were asked about it and denied being in the library, but, I mean... Who's going to admit they skipped out on the funeral of the man who had owned the estate where they worked? And finally, I want to wrap this up with just a lovely story of the Cottingley Fairies. Now, this was actually a hoax that was perpetrated by children. This didn't involve a double exposure or a long exposure. This was a series of photographs taken by... Elsie Wright, and Francis Griffiths. They were two young cousins living in Coventry uh, in England. In 1917, they took a couple of photos of fairies. Now, there was a lot of speculation from like the day these photographs were taken. And not everybody bought it, but quite a few people did. There were even some really notable historical figures like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who took this as evidence of the existence of psychic phenomena. In reality, I I absolutely love this because it's so low-tech. It's it's beautiful. What the girls did was they took... um, They took images from a popular story, like illustrations of fairies, cut them out, placed them into the forested landscape, and then took photographs posing with their cutouts. Because there was no alteration to like the film plate or anything like that in a dark room, it seemed like more credible evidence to quite a few people. Um, it's the simplest sort of form of photographic trickery, just putting something artificial in front of the camera and snapping a photo of it. But it worked. It worked, um, you know, at the time quite a few people bought it. It was put into, you know, newspapers and magazines. 
Even decades later, in the 1960s, a reporter from the Daily Express tracked Elsie down and they interviewed her, talked more about it. It wasn't until the 1980s that they admitted the photographs were faked using, as I said, cardboard cutouts of fairies from a popular kids book. I think the most interesting bit, though, is while they did admit that they faked the photographs, or they admitted they faked most of the photographs, Francis maintained that the fifth and final photograph was genuine. It's kind of amazing when you think about it. Daguerre gave his photographic method in 1839, and within like 20 years, people were using that to create these, yes, fraud images, but also kind of interesting and innovative composite shots. Just imagine our world if everyone had spent their time and creativity and that innovation were only dedicated to things that, you know, did good instead of taking advantage of others. So as I ramble and grasp for a way to wrap up this episode, I'm just going to quote my favorite teacher, Mr. Feeney, who said, dream, try, do good. This concludes this week's episode of Who Arted, part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. If you found this tolerable, please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. You can find images of the work being discussed this week and every week on social media at Who Arted Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And of course, on the website, whoartedpodcast.com. Podcast done.